Podcast. What is up, lacrosse fans? You're watching another episode of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. I believe we're hitting 117 uh, as of today. I am your host, Ted Hoost, and today we're going to talk about an incoming player that's heading to Duke, Brennan O'Neill, one of the most hyped recruits over the last decade, I dare say. And then I want to also get into a little bit of news. There was an article by uh, Stephen Stamper on Inside Lacrosse about uh, generational talent. Are we labeling too many guys generational talents? And then a, a an article from my buddy Tanner over at Lacrosse Bucket, where I think he's totally wrong, and I want to call him out for it. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification button. Well, easiest way that you can help us though right now is just like, 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 blindly hit that like button, share the video with your friends. And as always, you can go to laxfactor.com. You can get yourself swag. We have polo shirts, t-shirts, hats, you name it. You can get it there. Coffee mugs. We have everything. So you can support the podcast that way as well. Go to laxfactor.com. Or if you're just an audio listener and you prefer not to look at my, my beautiful mug and you'd prefer to just listen, you can go to anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor and just listen to the audio version, or you can get it anywhere podcasts are distributed uh, apple podcast google you name it uh, even spotify you name it we are there so let's get into it brennan o'neill is going to be a problem one of the most hype recruits hyped recruits we've seen over the last decade no pro- no n- not no question i mean there's some other guys uh, but i haven't seen this much hype especially surrounding like the highlight cuts of this player since dehoga nanakoke like i said in the opening here um i sat down and I spent some time watching his highlight cuts, and I want to go on the record as saying I do believe this kid to be the truth. I purposely don't cover a whole lot of high school here, partly because it's just not my lane. Uh, a lot goes into researching these high school kids and figuring out who the truth is from the, you know, from from guys that are just hyped or whatnot. And then it's it's a lot easier to be good in high school than it is at the next level. And 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 transitioning your game from the high school level to the college level, it's not just about skill and you know physical prowess. It's it's about your mental game uh, as well. You got to get that mental straight. So I purposely don't talk about the high school kids. Partly, like I said, I just don't know as much about them. It takes a lot of time to to, to know about them and they don't always pan out. Uh, so in the case like this with Brennan O'Neill, admittedly, I know this is going to get a lot of views just because I put the name Brennan O'Neill in it. But realistically, I'm only talking about him because I truly do believe this kid to be the truth here. So, and I said that already, let me go on the record as saying, the kid is the truth, and I believe it so much that I'm going to just start hashtagging the truth anywhere where I mention Brennan O'Neill for the most part, including on this video as I put this up. Uh, but normally, because I love to hear myself talk, I'm going to kind of go on now and explain to you why I actually really do believe that that, that it's not hype with Brennan O'Neill. Brennan O'Neill is really going to be something special, and uh, everybody needs to kind of take notice now, especially those in the ACC, because this kid's uh, going to wreak havoc on ACC uh, teams for the next four years. So right off the bat, one of the big reasons I believe him to be the truth is the highlight reels. I mean, the kid's a human highlight reel. He, you know, we've all seen some of his top highlights, one-handed goals, scoring going through three defenders, splitting triple teams, uh, BTBs, between the legs, round the worlds, you name it, this kid has scored a goal that way, backhands. I mean, if if he's anywhere in front of the cage and you don't have, you're not all over his hands specifically, the kid's going to be able to get a shot off, and a lot of times it'll make you look silly. One of the differences, I think, between his type of flash and some, you know, flash that you see out of other players, or maybe let's say like the 1990s, early 2000s type of flash 
His flash does not seem like flash as much as it just seems he gets a lot of attention. He's got defenders draped all over him, and he has to find creative ways to get shots off. I just had a light go off here uh, as I'm talking. I'm just going to fight through it. So he ends up having to find creative ways to get shots off. And, and I mean, sometimes he might be hot-dogging a little bit, but you, you look at a lot of these BTBs, one-handed shots that he puts on cage. You look at a lot of the backhands. They're just opportunities that he's taking, and he's just being smart about how to try to get that shot off when his hands are free. If he's anywhere where his hands are free in front of the cage, he will sting you. Um, so I think that with him that's part of it you see a kid that has stick skills that are just that go that deep lacrosse field awareness you know knows where he is he doesn't even necessarily have to be looking at the goal to nail a shot you know put a shot on cage I mean I think that that's part of it you know when you see that you're like oh all right now this kid has my attention uh in a same in the same way De Hogan Nanakote got all of our attention back when he stuck that between the legs against Hopkins in a fall ball scrimmage uh and that kind of just shot off a firestorm of him his highlight reel going all over the place but O'Neill doesn't just stop there he also has great off-ball IQ. And I'm not saying off-ball like a Mac O'Keefe, you know, somebody who's you know setting up as a spot shooter. I just mean as the game is pl- being played and as somebody else is carrying the ball, he knows where to position himself on the field to be a threat. Now, that might involve be camping on the backside, getting ready to catch and shoot. And it does often involve that. The kid's got a laser. He can shoot from everywhere on the field. But more often than not, with O'Neal, what you end up seeing is, he, I mean, he plays for a, a you know, insanely talented high school. So he's got a bunch of teammates that are all legit players as well. So as they're doing their thing, they're getting their touches, they're getting their dodges. He, he positions himself intelligently to kind of set himself up for that. What I would call the, the two dodge or a two or three step dodge after somebody else do- dodges and draws, draws eyeballs, draws help. So I think, and I think that's going to be one of the big ways that he's going to be paired well and, and play well with Michael Sowers is Michael Sowers is going to demand a lot of eyeballs. He's going to demand a lot of full slides, half slides, triple teams at times. And I think that O'Neill's IQ will allow him to put himself in a place on the field that Sowers would be able to maybe bang a ball over the top to him. And now all of a sudden O'Neill has the ball on the backside of the defense. His defender might be there. It doesn't matter if his defender's there. What happens is when Sowers draws that double team, throws the ball over the top to O'Neill on the opposite side or maybe out top up on a up in a corner or something. Now he has his man one-on-one with no help. Once a slide goes, if they bang the ball two spots, typically, you end up giving the ball to a guy in the backside that has no help. And those are the scenarios, especially as a freshman and sophomore, that I think O'Neill will shine. We saw somebody like Chase Scanlon. Chase Scanlon is nowhere near as proficient a dodger as O'Neill. O'Neill is a, is a ball carrier. I mean, the dude can do it all. But um, I think that you'll see O'Neill succeed, especially early on as a freshman, in those scenarios where he's very Chase Scanlon-esque. I'm going to let this guy carry the ball, draw the eyeballs. I'm going to get the ball on the backside and I'm going to just take two or three steps, bully my guy down the alley and stick one or, or, or take my guy underneath that goal line extended and, and stick one. So I think his, his off ball IQ and his general field awareness are going to help really kind of, even if he doesn't start at attack, uh, he'll get time. And I think that his field awareness is going and his IQ is going to help him try to figure out how to wiggle into that, that Duke offense, even with limited reps, limited minutes, because that Duke attack is crowded. And I'll get into that in a little bit here. Um, let's make sure I didn't miss anything from there. 
Nope. Yeah, pretty much you give O'Neal the ball and there's no help. It's a goal. I mean, the chance that it's a goal is pushing 60 to 70 percent, even with a goalie in cage. The other thing about O'Neal is, like I said, he's got great off-ball awareness, but the kid is a Dodger. I mean, this isn't a kid who is this isn't like a Dyson Williams who's made a career kind of playing off-ball and 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 being that two Dodger. Uh, it's not like a Mac O'Keefe that's similar like that. This kid is a f- ball carrier as well. Yes. He is going to benefit greatly from Michael Sowers, from Manown, from Robertson, from some of the mids. He's going to benefit from these guys all being really quality offensive players, being able to beat their men to the cage and draw slides. But he will also be the guy that opens up Mike Sowers because he went to the rack, drew a slide, and got rid of the ball. The kid is is not selfish with the ball. And... Uh, even where he will carry and he will carry himself into two or three people. He, obviously at this level, it's going to change a little bit and he will obviously share the ball and he's very capable of sharing the ball. So the fact that he can dodge from anywhere in the field, he can dodge. I think his sweet spot you would have to say would be that wing goal line extended area on the left side of the field. He loves to dodge his man underneath and finish off that left side with his left hand, very Canadian-esque or, or First Nation-esque in terms of his stick skills, and he loves that left hand. He can put it in his right. He can shoot with his right. He'll spot shoot with his right, but if if he doesn't have to, he's not going to, and I think we're seeing a lot of that in some of the younger guys now as they're getting back into, hey, play with your strong hand wherever possible and you know use your weak hand as you have to, especially in the dodging game. But a lot of guys are really doing a good job of getting those shots off with their right hands. Uh, I put him in like a kind of like a walker um, from Denver kind of uh, uh, thing there in terms of how he'll dodge underneath and still find a way to get that shot off and finish with his left hand. Um, so and, and he's he's big. So his dodging, it's not just, hey, I'm going to go to the cage and beat you. He go, The way he goes to the cage, he's got quick feet for a big guy. So he will put a move on someone and shake someone. But if he can't shake you, he's just going to bully you. And he's just going to rock you back and forth until he gets to where he wants to be on the field and then stick a BTB on your head. So, I mean, it's that unique, that unique mix of size, strength, and really, really quick feet along with incredible hands. I mean, the kid has it all. The kid has it all. I'm, I'm pretty much kind of just waxing on like a fanboy at this point. But he's a threat from all over the field. He'll dodge from out top, and I think that will help him too. With the crowded attack, Duke has an insanely crowded attack. You've got Robertson back. You've got Manown back. Then you've also got Mike Sowers now transferring in. You also have Dyson Williams, and now you've got um, uh, O'Neal to worry about getting some some time also. So what I like about O'Neal is let's say – some of these vets end up eating that time at attack and getting all that burn. You can throw him on a first or second midfield line, and he's going to do just fine within those sets. He's more than capable of dodging out top, and heaven forbid he gets to end up dodging uh, in the, within the Duke offense with a shorty on him because that's just going to be a nightmare for that poor short stick also. So I think they're going to find ways to work him in. I think that his, I don't think he's going to come out and just start dropping four four points, six points, three points. I think it might be a slow progression. I think you might see him come out and put up two, three points a game uh, early, maybe have a couple of one-point games here and there. I don't think he's going to hit the the ground running and just six points, six points, six points, or even three points, three points, three points. He's capable of that, but this 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 team doesn't need him to do that. If it, if it was if he went to high point 
and Asher Nolting wasn't there, and he's going to be the guy to carry the ball. The kid's going to put up 70 points easily, even as a freshman, uh, if he was the primary ball carrier at Duke. We don't know where he stands in terms of the pecking order. Uh, just because he's the number one recruit and he's super hyped does not mean he's even one of their top five best offensive players at this stage. I mean, you can't – You experience goes a long way, and we've got guys like Manown, Robertson, Sowers. Will, Williams has a year or two under his belt. So it's not just going to be butterflies and rainbows for O'Neal down there, but I think that his unique skill set and the way that he's been used over the years between his high school ball and his club ball uh, uh, careers, I think that's going to you know put him in a position to do well no matter where Duke puts him in as a freshman here. So that's huge. And then as I compare him to a couple other guys, someone that came to mind when I was first watching his highlight late tape was like a Peter Baum out of uh, Colgate. If you remember him, he was a Tawarton winner, just a big beast but he was bomb Colgate or was bomb bomb Brown. I think bomb was Colgate big beast that could dodge. It could do it all. But I think the difference here is, is O'Neill has a flashier stick. O'Neill has probably a little bit quicker feet. He might not be as strong as bomb was either, but he reminded me of him a little bit in the way that he kind of bully dodged people and, and beat double teams. More importantly, bomb was really good at splitting a double team just because you, you, you could drape all over him and he was still going to get through and then buy you guys. Uh, I think that the spot shooting with someone like Sowers, like they talked about, is going to be huge. His two to three step dodge. He gets the ball with no help in place, whether it be in transition or after a slide hits somebody else. And I mean, that's going to, he's going to be super dangerous there. But in the end, I truly believe that we are going to see Brennan O'Neill. I think he's going to put up 20 to 40 and I could be wrong, but I think he's a 20 plus point scorer as a freshman. I think that if, it, if you played on a different team that didn't, that didn't have such a crowded offensive side of the field, he might be able to put up 50, 60 as a freshman. I just don't think they're going to call upon him to do that. I think his progression is going to be slow. The way they work him into the O is going to be slow, but he will be a factor and teams are going to have to game plan for him come four or five games into that season. It's, it's, it's going to be tough for ACC teams. So I truly do believe that Brennan O'Neill is the truth. Now, Let's get into some random lacrosse news. As I talked about, Stephen Stamper over at Inside Lacrosse wrote an article. Uh, let's see here. It's called uh, Stamper's Musings, What Really Makes a Generational Talent. And one of the quotes I really liked, it was from Steve Govett. I don't even know who that is. But he said, if there's a generational player in every other draft, are they really generational? Uh, and then I, I thought kind of the whole tone of the article was going to be kind of negative like that. Like, ah, we, we're calling everybody generational. No one's generational anymore, blah, blah, blah. But by the end of it, he kind of brings it back home in reference to Jeff Teat. I think that was what most of this was was about. Uh, it, you know, it became popular leading up to the 20, 2020 NLL draft to refer to Jeff Teat as a generational talent. It also became popular for people to question what exactly a generational talent is, which led to that tweet that I saw, if, if there's a generational talent in every other draft, are they really generational? Uh, so it's a, a good read. I'll put a link down here in the description overall, but you do hear that a lot. And I mean, that's, that's part of the reason why I'm weary of diving in and covering the high school kids, even the hyped high school kids, because I don't want to listen. Nobody barely, no one's listening here. I, I think that, you know, the average episode that we put out here ends up getting at least a thousand views and listens across all platforms. And then depending like a Brennan O'Neill video, we might get up to three, four thousand views and listens or something like that. So I say nobody's listening, but it, 
I don't, you know, you, you put pressure on a kid. I'm not the one putting pressure on a kid, but that hype does. And you, I've seen as a Q's fan, we've seen a couple of kids come in as top two, one, two or three recruits and not even end their career as the top three, four, you know, player on that team. So I'm, I'm weary of going in and diving in and talking about players like that. Just like I'm, I'm, I'm weary of labeling players generational talents. I think that as I look at the NCAA landscape right now, I think that right now in college lacrosse, there's one guy I'm willing to draw a line in the sand in and say, if you don't believe that Mike Sowers is a generational talent, fuck you. You know, as uh, I think that was my my Ricky Bobby. I have a Ricky Bobby sign on my wall here. So that was my if you don't like what is it? Big red F you. Um, yeah. Mike Sowers, generational talent um, was. Was Ben Reeves a generational talent? No. Ben Reeves was a Twarton winner. Ben Reeves was an incredible lacrosse player that, you know, helped lift his team to to heights they had never seen before or hadn't seen in a really, 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 really long time. But was he a generational talent? No. I think he was just the best player in the country that year. Um, was uh, uh, Spencer a, a generational talent? Probably uh, because w- the weird deal here with Pat Spencer and with Mike Sowers and why I've always been really big on them is that they both came in as freshmen both of them, I believe, put up 60 plus points as freshmen and then never stopped doing that. And then, you know, escalated to 80 and 90 point seasons after that. Um, so Pat Spencer's a little bit closer to that generational talent. But I think that what happened with Spencer is now he's not playing lacrosse and boom, he's kind of removed from that. Now, I think that to really be a generational talent, I think you've got to do it in high school. You got to kind of make that name for yourself. You got to do it through four years of college. And then once you do it through four years of college, I think then you still have to progress it and do it at the pro level too. I don't think anyone's calling college kids generational. I mean, when you when you hear generational be talked about, it's typically this player is a once in a generation player in terms of their prospect for for playing pro. And I think that that's where I Spencer lost me. Had he come out and tore it up in the PLL or MLL last year and then a couple of years in, then I, then you start saying, hey, okay, that dude is one of the best players in this league. He was one of the best players in college. That's a generational talent when you do it at every level. Um, so Mike Sowers, I believe, is the, is going to be that guy, assuming he plays pro. Um, T, T is the best player on Cornell's team uh, for sure. T is one of my favorite players to watch, period. Is he a generational talent? It's to be seen. I don't think that I don't I don't I think it's uh, safe to uh, maybe talk about how is this player going to be generational, but to just label them that because people are talking about how T in terms of his box game and the hype that surrounds him playing in the NLL after his career. They're, they're talking about him being the most hype, just like O'Neill, most hyped uh, uh, high school prospect in a long time. T is one of the most hyped box prospects in a long time. I think in this article, they mentioned uh, Mark Matthews in 2012 was this hyped, and Mark Matthews proved that to be true. Mark Matthews, I don't think, had the college career that T had, although he did very well. But pro career, I mean, the dude has been an absolute nightmare for opposing teams. I think he's got six seasons under his belt in the NLL with 100-plus points. So that is pretty ridiculous. So could T prove to be a generational talent? Yeah, I think that calling T to generational talent is a little bit too quick. I think what you have to say is he has the potential of being that generational talent, but I don't think you ever know and you can never crown someone a generational talent until they've got a couple of solid years at the pro level under their belt. I rambled about that a lot, but that's that, that was the general idea here. And, and he kind of ends it with, 
In the end, I haven't resolved anything about what exactly constitutes a generation and hence the potential for a generational player. So fellow lacrosse writers and analysts, let's use the phrase uh, advisedly going forward. And whatever this dude's name is, if you could crunch some numbers, that might help us. Blah, blah, blah. Either way, good article, good read. I'm a big Jeff Teat fan, so anything where they're, they're mentioning Jeff Teat, uh, I end up reading it. So I'll include a link there in the description so that you can check that out. And then another little piece of news, Lacrosse Bucket. My buddy Tanner over at Lacrosse Bucket had a piece that he put up, and the title was what got me. And the title says, and Tanner is prone to getting a little bit excited about things at times. I think he would agree with that. But he says the title, Ohio State, could run away with the Big Ten. And it's like, eh, probably not. Probably not. Um, the Big Ten is loaded. And could Ohio State win the Big Ten? Yes. They could, they, you know, the stars could align and Ohio State could win the Big Ten. Is that likely? No. I don't think that they're one of the favorites to win the Big Ten. I think that you've got to put the favorite on Maryland. I think Maryland is the favorite to win the Big Ten every year. And don't count Penn State out just because they, lo- they lose Ament. Penn State has a ton of insane talent returning, and they're, 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 they have a culture that is, is now used, used to winning and used to winning a lot. So don't count them out. They've got some guys that could pick up the slack for Ament, and uh, Folds is one of those guys. Uh, O'Keefe is going to need to find somebody to gel with, and maybe Folds ends up being that guy. But anyway, moral of the story, don't front on Penn State. So, I mean, I still think you got to put in that order – Maryland's the favorite. Penn State is probably second. And and then you end up with that mix of Hopkins and Ohio State. And you could even throw Rutgers in there. I think Michigan's at the bottom of the barrel still in that in that conference. But there are some very good teams in that conference. So to even write the headline, Ohio State could run away with the Big Ten, I think is getting a little bit excited, maybe a little bit clickbaity, um, because I don't think there's a chance. I don't think there's any truth to that. No. Ohio State, even if they win the Big Ten, they're not going to have run away with it. I think that especially if you get the regular season in a in a tournament, Ohio State could win one of those. Uh, I don't think there's a chance they win two of those. I don't think there's a chance they would win the regular season and the tournament. Um, and I think that more than likely they're the third or fourth best team by the end of the season in the in the Big Ten. Now they do have a lot of guys back, so let's see where Tanner says who's coming back here. Uh, Alex Van de Bone, uh, Alex Van de Bovenkamp, the goalkeeper, uh, he's transferred in uh, from Furman, and I was always kind of, I always, I, I ended up catching a bunch of Furman games for some reason. I'm not sure, and I was always kind of a fan of Van de Bo- Van de Bovenkamp. And uh, they also picked up Eric Wentz from Hofstra, defender. Both were multi-year impact players on uh, on those teams, and then they also pick up a long pole. You know, they picked up some dudes. It's like. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of hype that surrounds Ohio State every year, and it used to be Ohio State played a weak schedule. So every year Ohio State was starting eight and zero, eight and one, six and one, six. You know what I mean? They were winning a boatload of games at the beginning of the season, but they weren't really getting fully tested until they got into their conference. And then they always fare well. Typically, they fare well in the conference. They split, you know, on average, and they're good for an upset, you know, every other year of somebody that they shouldn't beat, but. To say that they could run away with the Big Ten, I think, is uh, is a little bit of a hot take. I don't think there's a chance of that. I think, honestly, my way too early, unofficial order, I'm just going to go off hip here in the Big Ten. I'm going to rank the top four. Maryland, Penn State, 
Hopkins, Ohio State. I think that's more than likely the way that it would go down, and I think you could swap maybe Hopkins and Ohio State, depending on how that goes with a first-year head coach. Sometimes teams with first-year head coaches way overachieve, especially where you have talent coming back like Hopkins does, and it's not necessarily an indictment on the former coach. There is, is a certain level of excitement that surrounds a new guy coming in. Guys buy in hard out of just kind of a, a need to, to, to feel sane and to have things be solid for them. So you could end up seeing Hopkins tear it up. Uh, and do much better than we expect. But that'll be interesting to see either way. So that is it. I'm not even going to get into the Apple thing. Uh, Garrett Apple had had uh, tweeted out on in, uh, uh, the Indigenous Day, uh, Happy Columbus Day. I, a lot of people are calling, you know, a lot of people think Apple's an a-hole, and that could be true. I don't know him, so I'm not going to make a, a, a statement one way or another. A lot of people are now starting to go as far as to try to call Apple a racist and all sorts of other terrible things. I don't think that's true. I think Apple's just a fiery dude that's prone to saying dumb, saying and doing dumb shit from time to time, and I think that's probably about all it is. And I mean, no one's going to argue that what he did was dumb. I mean, it was dumb. It was very tone deaf, I guess you could almost call it, especially being a member of the lacrosse community and note the lacrosse community is one of the most emotionally weak communities that I've ever seen in terms of just guys getting butt hurt over everything. And it does kind of prove that concept that um, well-off white guys are some of the biggest wusses in America, because I do think that's true, at least emotionally speaking. I, I say that half the guys that I probably think are emotional snowflakes in terms of the lacrosse community would all whoop my butt physically, but, uh, and mentally they're, they're good at certain things. But I think that the, the lacrosse community has a tendency of getting butt hurt easily, getting offended easily, and it's not necessarily the young guys. Uh, I'm, I've been surprised over and over at the number of old guys that have reached out to me. I've gotten a couple of death threats from old guys that were just upset that I swore. So fuck you guys, because you guys suck, and you're all a bunch of pansies. Um, and then I, you, you find guys that in sports you can pretty much – Say anything you want. You know, you cover college basketball, you cover college football, you cover pro other sports. It's like free for all. And I think part of that is that even the the guys that do that at the highest level don't always have access to all of these guys. So it's like, hey, what's the sense? And why not bash LeBron James or why not bash Tiger Woods? Or uh, these, those are two really bad examples off hip. But people are willing to allow you to bash your favorite NBA player or even your, your favorite college basketball player. And, you know, you can have a guy come out and just say that, oh, man, you know, Virginia Tech stinks in basketball or, or whatever that might be, and that's fine. In the lacrosse world, you do that, and people start getting butt hurt. They start private messaging you. And maybe this happens at all levels, and I just don't know it. I've just been surprised at the amount of times people have reached out to me butt hurt about something I just said as I was rambling into a mic in front of a camera. So the lacrosse community does need to toughen up quite a bit, I think. Um, we have a lot of white knights running around in this community, and that's not bad. I'm all for you know trying to do good, make the world a better place and everything like that. Just do it with a little bit more of a happy and optimistic tone is all I'm saying. And don't get butthurt by everything. That's important. But anyway, yeah, that Apple thing, I think that got all blown out of proportion, except he did delete his Twitter. So I've, evidently, I presume he got a handful of death threats and things like that as well. So 
Now that's it. That's me rambling for today. Uh, I'll get back into doing team previews. We're actually going to start whipping up as we whip up the team previews leading into the season. We are, we're going to have a full page that is going to include a break, like every single preview that we do. It'll probably be multiple pages in the end. Um, so we'll have that up probably by next week. We'll get the North Carolina, the Duke, and the Hobart um, previews all up on that page. And then as we add new team previews, we'll just put them all in alphabetical order and then stack them there for easy access for anybody that just wants to listen to as much college lacrosse um, conjecture as they possibly can. So as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, go to laxfactor.com. If you want some swag, if you want to listen to the audio version, go to laxfactor.com forward slash. No, go to anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor, and you can get the podcast audio wise anywhere you can find a podcast. And then if you're listening and you want to watch YouTube, go to youtube.com forward slash forward slash laxfactor. And you can look at my beautiful mug ramble in uh, 1080p high definition. So that is all. We will be back next week. Hoost is out. 